How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast, and let's continue our conversation about UFOs, I guess. <laughs> um, it's so different than, you know, all of July, what I was spending my time talking about. It was all just like professions and day in the life and this and why you should do this and look out for this if you're a consumer. And now like jumping in, this is like my first one for the month of August where I'm going to talk about just a subject that's not related to a profession. So sorry for the like the second of brain fart. And actually, I didn't even know what I wanted to talk about when I, when I came into this. I literally hit record or right before I hit record, I was like, I could talk about this or this or this or this. And literally the list was like building and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hit record. The first thing that came to my mind is going to be the thing I'm going to talk about. And so glad I, I did that because today we're going to talk about the Fermi paradox. And if you're not familiar with the Fermi paradox, essentially um, I'm going to look it up right now. I'm forgetting his first name, Enrico. Damn it. I knew that. Um, a uh, Italian-American physicist by the name of Enrico Fermi came up with a a pos like the, uh, a mental exercise of just of thinking out loud uh, to like the the scientific community in the 1950s. Essentially, why if we do know, for instance, if there's the if if we know that there are so many so like star systems out in the solar system or out in the in our galaxy and there are billions of galaxies out there and like we know the earth for instance is um you know like billions of years old and like recorded man history is in the scope of like just even the the life of just in the last hundred year, a hundred million years, like human history has really only existed for, like recorded history, has only really existed for maybe a hundred thousand years. No, sorry, less than that. Like recorded history is probably like thirty thousand years, fifty thousand years. Like actual remains of humans and like what remnants of our ancient ancestors, like a hundred thousand years. And look at the progress humanity has made in that hundred thousand years. I mean ridiculous and so a hundred thousand is literally a fraction of a time period compared to numbers such as millions and then billions and so when you talk about like the universe is is 4.6 billion years old um you know a hundred thousand years is literally nothing it's like a, a blink of an eye in that time period it's so hilarious to entertain just how big a number a billion is. So I was watching a video the other day uh, of this like uh, great guy on YouTube that does a lot of videos on like computer programming and stuff like that. And he did a video representing how like one foot or like a hundred feet was. Yeah. So like one foot was, I think the representative of like a thousand a thousand like the number a thousand and so like he walked like a thousand feet and that was like representative of a million he was like so that's like a million and he was like so do you want to understand what a billion uh how like how long a billion is and he gets in a in a car and you think he's just going to go down the road and he's going to go to like a local shop 
This guy was driving in a car for an hour and a half at like a consistent rate of like 60 miles an hour. And when he finally reached his destination, that was a billion. <laughs> so the difference between a million and a billion is insane. So when you talk about like a hundred thousand to a billion, it is ridiculous. So anyway, sorry, I just can't, I, I just couldn't believe what I was watching when I was watching that video. It was insane. I had to fast forward because I was like, I'm not watching this guy drive a car for two hours, but um, so yeah, like, I mean, look at all the achievements that, I mean, humans have done. I mean, just like very recently, Elon Musk, uh, through his company called SpaceX flew astronauts for the first time in almost 10 years, flew American astronauts from America to the international space station and brought them back and they landed safely. And that was a huge achievement because he did it via like a system where, Essentially, he has reusable rockets that they send people up into space, and then those rockets come back to Earth. It's revolutionizing just how we think about just space travel and, and, and the investment in it. And there are brilliant scientists out there that, that have done the math. And at our current rate, which is really slow, but at our current rate of travel, which I believe is uh, like the fastest sustained rate of speed that a spaceship can have, is anywhere between 30 to 50,000 miles per hour, which is freaking fast, obviously, but it's nowhere near as fast as like it needs to be when it, when we're talking about the vastness of space. I mean, even our solar system is so distant. Like when we what we learn in in class is such a misrepresentation of just like how far planets are from one another. Like from Earth to the, even the moon, it is really far away. It is like, it looks like it's not, but it is really far away. And that's the moon. That's like the closest orbiting entity to us. And then you have like Mars, which that's why it takes three and a half months just to get to Mars, which is like the closest planet to us, you know, traveling at 50,000 miles per hour. It takes three and a half months to get there. Like when you talk about Pluto, it took like the New Horizon space probe that we sent to look at Pluto. It took us seven and a half years. We had to send a satellite or like a, a probe from Earth to Pluto, and it took seven and a half years to finally arrive to Pluto. And that's not even leaving our solar system. And um, so, I mean, it takes a long time, but people have done the the math. And they said that if we were to stop progressing and how fast we could travel, that theoretically, and this is, I mean, again, this is a long time, but when you talk about billions, it's not really that long. If we maintain, and this is again, no improvement to our technology. This means like we've hit the apex and it doesn't get better from here. Nothing is better than propulsion. And we know that's not the case, but if we were able to build spaceships that are large, that could maintain uh, um, a civilization inside of a spaceship that could travel for at the at the rate that our spaceships could travel. That in theory, within a few million years, so about three million years, we could theoretically create ha- like um, civilizations all throughout the Milky Way galaxy, which is pretty insane because the Milky Way galaxy alone has billions of stars. So in a few million years with our current technology, we could theoretically like build civilizations all around the Milky Way. Not like on every planet in the Milky Way, but like in the habitable planets in all the different star systems, we could theoretically do it. 
Three million years is a long time. Yes, we all know. Like humans haven't even lived a million years yet. So three million years is a long time. But again, three million is nothing in the scope of multi-billions of years of age of our universe. And so with that knowledge, you would think that, okay, like humans, like their part in the whole universe's story came pretty late. I mean, again, we're a hundred thousand years of history, but we're at the back end of it. We're at the, we're not the very beginning of the beginning of the universe. We're at the very back end of it. And so we're like 4.6 billion years. It took time to create life on earth, to evolve to us to a point of like man being this smart and have this kind of technology. So we're on the back end of it. So what, what, um, Enrico Fermi uh, was perplexed by was the idea that, well, we're at the end of time or at like, you know, just the end of the the history of, of the, of the current universe and like, you know, or up to its end point, you know, history keeps building every second. I'm just saying like human history has only been the last hundred thousand years, not the very beginning. So why wasn't there like other intelligent species that have existed Maybe one billion years ago, they started the the like life happened in another part of maybe not this galaxy, but another galaxy one billion years ago, like a billion years from now. I mean, we'll as long as humans don't get obliterated by either COVID-19, no, I'm joking, but like a big like comet or gamma ray burst or something devastating, like a, a, a virus that just has no cure and is 100% lethality rate or atomic bombs blow up. As long as none of this stuff happens, which, I mean, there's a high probability that we are all going to end our race sometime soon. And this is where we'll talk about that. That really is related to the Fermi Paradox. Essentially, if a civilization has been able to live for a billion years, we should see some signs of that in space. Even with our current technology that we have, we should be able to detect, like, like from our planet, like aliens out there. And or other life forms out there and we have it and we've searched everywhere and our technology is improving every year and we're able to detect certain things, but all we're detecting is just natural occurrences, black holes, neutron stars colliding with one another, like all these things that can be explained away, not by uh, uh, like a super advanced civilization and how they've, they've technology technologically evolved, but just by natural occurrences. And so this is finally where Enrico Fermi was like thinking, okay, well, if we can't detect life and we have no definitive proof that life exists outside of our own planet, there has to be reasons for that. And so he started to think of a lot of different reasons. One was maybe it took billions of years of, uh, and I'm going to talk about that maybe tomorrow. I'll talk about like the span, panspermia uh, thesis or, or theory, not thesis, but theory, where essentially like life began in another planet. It got impacted really hard by a comet. Dust flew off that, that planet and then that dust traveled through space and then interacted with other planets and essentially spread life that way. There's an idea that that, that possibly is an explanation for how life came to Earth because we've we've known that certain viruses and bacteria can survive in space, which, you know, if you understand how evolution works, evolution really only occurs based off of um, environmental 
impacts on one's body and and way of living. And so for viruses and bacteria and single-celled organisms to be able to survive in space, there's no part of Earth that's like space. I mean, there is kind of with like the deep, deep ocean, but again, that's like more pressure. That's not like you're talking about like instantly freezing and being radioactive, like having the highest level of radioactivity and at the same time having like no pressure. So seeing things that can survive in those instances is kind of weird. It doesn't make sense. So there's an idea that, and we've thought for a long time that complex life forms started with single-celled organisms that have evolved through like the environment and a lot of other factors. And so there's this idea that possibly an asteroid or a comet that had viruses or bacteria on it crashed into Earth during the period when it was like the perfect point. Like it was a lot of methane gas out there, a lot of like just it was just a super toxic period, but a lot of moisture, a lot of heat and things that scientists think is what's required to create like life. You mix in like, you know, already single celled organisms and then that's how you create complex life. And so uh, Enrico Fermi thought, well, maybe, you know, out of probability, it took this long for complex life to occur. Maybe we are the first remnants of this, but maybe it does exist in other parts of the universe. And maybe we all have some relative history to one another where it's very recent that, you know, civilizations are developing in such a way. He's, he, so it came from that idea. And then he started to think of like other different things. So it went with that to the other end that I believe is what is more likely to, to occur is that as civilizations evolve and a demand for more energy and more technology occurs that eventually the science is trying to keep up with this demand and, and more energy means more advancements. That's honestly like why we have the things that we have It's because we've become more efficient with the energy that we can produce, or we found new ways to produce energy, like solar energy, nuclear energy, all of that. We've also figured out how to like make more conductive metals. And, and so a mixture of all of this has allowed us to have more energy outputs and have more energy efficient devices. So, you know, at one point, all of that's kind of going to get stretched thin. Eventually, there's only going to be so much resources on this planet and only so many ways you can make things uh, energy efficient that you're going to have to start to look outside of this planet for growth. But the idea is that in the pursuit of this, really science doesn't like makes theories all the time about like what's going to possibly happen when we press the next button on the next big project that we have. But the idea is that Enrico Fermi thought that maybe there's a point where we're going too fast and that there's a technology that's made and we know the risk, but we, we think that the benefits outweigh the risk. And when we press that button to turn on that, that new machine that's supposed to revolutionize life, instead of revolutionizing life, it literally ends all of life. Either it's like a nuclear blast that obliterates all like honestly we our our history has been very close to being eradicated like with nuclear war you know the last 50 years that's that's and it's still kind of a reality to this day you know any point some country can launch a nuclear warhead and then we can all start to launch them and adios everyone you know what i mean um or like you know in the pursuit of like curing diseases or cancers we start we continue editing genes and all of this and and eventually we make a virus that 
we have no, we can't create a cure to fast enough and it kills all of us. Or, you know what I mean? So essentially in the pursuit of trying to fix a certain issue, we make a, a, a thing that we know has a high likelihood of fixing the problem, but also has a relative risk to it. And we do it anyways. And we do this a lot. Honestly, if you look at our history, we're always gambling with like, the the uh, the odds of uh, of of possibly creating something that could potentially end all of us like look at gene editing for instance like recently like CRISPR nine which I'll talk about in another podcast but essentially we've gotten to the point where we're so good at gene editing that we can almost edit genes and living like your current cells like we don't need to like edit embryos we can edit your genes like right now and change a lot of physical features about who you are as a person like right now and. Like that technology is getting better. I mean, eventually it's going to get to the point where we edit people so much that maybe we do something that we didn't know the ramifications of and and stop ourselves from creating children, for instance. Like, you know, our sperm can't fertilize an egg. Like we didn't realize the ramifications of this and we do something, you know, maybe as like a, a great birth control. Like imagine if there was like a birth control for women or men that essentially required no surgery, but you took an injection and you were infertile forever until supposedly you could take another injection that would make you fertile again. But what if you get that injection and it doesn't work? And then eventually like all of like a majority of the population has this. So you see a decline in population and then it's, it starts to, you know, lead to us dying off. So I'm just like th- thinking of like, and these are things that like he was contemplating was like, okay, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the reason why we don't see life because before life could get to the point where it, like conquers a galaxy or learns to to travel outside of its planet system, it presses that button that just kind of eliminates all of life. And I really do think that. I really, really do think that. Now I'm going to be hypocritical and talk about. Um, so p- tomorrow will be panspermia on um, on Thursday. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to want to talk about what I think is the what I think would be cool and also maybe a possibility of like what we are noticing, like what or not us, but like what the military is picking up on. And so I'm not going to bring it up right now, but you'll be very surprised. I don't think it's like extraterrestrials. I think it's something else, but um, I know I don't think it's like other countries having like better technology, but yeah, I mean, honestly a, a brilliant person and he came up with an equation. Actually, he came up with like a way to explain the the super high probability of why life should exist and then that's why it's a paradox a paradox is essentially something that just doesn't make relative sense with all the given facts and all the knowledge that we have you would think that the system would do this but when it when in reality it doesn't do that it's perplexing it's a paradox and so he did the math and said that it's just so high of a probability that we should be seeing life out there that we don't I don't know what's going on. So then that's when he started to think about like all the different ways as to why civilizations are just like other extraterrestrial civilizations just don't exist, but really brilliant stuff. You can honestly just look it up, uh, look up Fermi paradox. It's, it's uh, phenomenal. It does a really good job at explaining probably why we don't see aliens out there. Like, and again, we'll talk about that because this whole point of this podcast is talking about, it's going to segue into um, 
you know, the military is definitely noticing unidentified flying objects. And so what that can be, no one knows, but this is one man's op- like, like, um, uh, perplexion or like, uh, I can't think of the word like this one man's problem that he just couldn't address. I mean, I would love to see what he thinks about like all this stuff, other stuff now, but uh, he's, he's passed away, but, um, yeah. Anyways, that's the Fermi paradox. Look into it. Uh, like I said, you can Google it. Uh, I only touched on like one extreme to the other extreme. There's a lot of things that he hypothesized that could potentially be the reasons why we don't detect extraterrestrial life out there, but definitely all great stuff, all like super smart, intelligent things. But, um, those two that I brought up are probably some of my favorite, some of the ones that I think are more likely to happen. Like I, I honestly could see how that could affect our, even our history. So to think that, you know, another alien species maybe did attack each other with nuclear warheads and obliterated their planet. We would never be able to detect that. Like the, the only things we could detect right now are like what I talked about, like where after a hundred million years, we've conquered a galaxy. Like that's the kind of stuff we could detect at the moment. But like we're getting there where we can kind of detect like certain things that don't make sense on, on exoplanets. But again, those exoplanets have to be so big and they have to be in such a position around their sun that, or around their star that essentially if we don't have all these perfect angles where it's almost near impossible to be able to detect any kind of like definitive proof that there could be something on another planet. But anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning into this. Tomorrow we'll be talking about panspermia. Until then, I will catch all of you manana. Peace.